This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week, number 886, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you. I'm looking at the world through rose-colored glasses. Everything is lonely now. Looking at the world and everything that passes seems a rosy you somehow. Why do I be so dry? Don't wink your eyes. Needn't guess, I'll confess. Settle down, I vow, because I'm looking at 
Hey, I'm Josh Flanagan. I'm here with my co-host and pal, Connor Kilpatrick. Hey, Josh. How are you? <laughs> Fine. You know what? We did some good last week, Josh. We did. We did. Yeah, that's true. We talked about your colonoscopy. Yeah. And several of our patrons talked about it on our Discord. Surprisingly, many of those patrons are males of the colonoscopy age. <laughs> Shocking. At least one said, you know what? I haven't done it. I should have done it. And after you guys talked about it and we talked about it here, I'm going to go schedule it. That's great. If one person one goes person. get a colonoscopy that, that didn't or should have, then I feel good about yeah. everything we've done over 18 years. And imagine that they find something and well, they get it in not. time. No, no. Yeah. Like in the good way. You know, yeah. like, oh, we're really glad this this happened because whatever. you never know. Got to go do it. Yeah. It's the easiest way to not get cancer. It's just also it's it's kind of one shitty day beforehand. That's it. Yeah. The day off is great. That's no problem. Well, I don't know when yours was, but mine was at like 2.30 in the afternoon. I was like, let's get Uh, moving, motherfuckers. (laughs) Mine was, I think it was in the morning, but not super early, but Mm -hmm. it was, I don't remember. It was, it was early enough where basically I just, you know, went. There was a point in my liquid diet fasting where I was like, right now I kind of feel okay. And then it went drastically the other way. But there was that. So welcome to Pick of the Week, episode number 886. Every week, one of us picks the book that they like the best from their stack of comics. We call that the Pick of the Week. We're going to talk about that book. We will talk about other books. There is a patron pick. If I don't even know if there's a listener mail this week. If we'll have time, it will be. But if not, then it won't be. There will be spoilers. That's up to you if you keep listening. Connor, you had the Pick of the Week. Oh, I forgot. It was at 1230 in the afternoon. Mm. And uh, it was Halloween, which is... <laughs> strange and then uh then i went for pancakes afterwards anyway i had to pick yes me sorry i was looking at my calendar barnstormers number one from dark horse comics is the pick of the week scott snyder art by tula lote hey look it's d conniff again d conniff is taking the world over in his or her Coloring. bright pastels Not richard pastels. starkings on letters wow classic you don't often see richard starking anymore but comic craft and this is a oversized issue It's about 60 pages that stars Gary Cooper, Hedy Lamarr, and William Powell. Oh, is that? For the most part. The art isn't always consistent on how they look, because sometimes the artist is aping these actors and other times not. I don't have a problem with that, necessarily. This is a story that when Josh Rush told me about it, he's like, oh, Scott's got a new book coming out about a pilot. And I said, oh, I'm sure it's going to have some sort of horror element. And it doesn't. So far. I don't think it does. No, I don't either. For right now, this is a straight up sort of adventure crime story set in the 20s about a barnstorming pilot. Yeah. The barnstormers were, you know, basically pilots that came out of World War One that would do traveling aerial shows for the people in the country. People who hadn't seen planes, really. Mm-hmm. And aerial acrobatics, and they'd go around the country and they would perform and they get paid by the town. And, and by this time, it's sort of dying out. This guy who's got two names, because he's got a fake name, but he calls himself Hawk. He's been going all over the eastern seaboard and not making much money, which is a problem. Even in the 20s, it's not much money. Yeah. He ends up crashing into a wedding and hijinks ensue where the bride runs off with him. And also, Hawk has clearly a mental illness where he hallucinates a robot. Yeah. And that causes problems as well. This was really unexpected. Mm Mm-hmm. Scott Snyder's done a lot of genres over the years, but he's been sort of in a sci-fi horror adventure groove for a while. He did that P.I. book with Francis Manipole, but it was yep. still a sci-fi P.I. book. This is like a straight-up historical fiction yeah. comic that we haven't seen in a while from Scott. 
featuring terrific art from Tula Lotte. Mm-hmm. I eat this up. Yeah, I mentioned it, and like I kind of didn't know, you know, what it was going to be like or whatever. And I started reading it, and I was like, "Oh, this is really oh, it's sixty four pages." But <laughs> like after that sort of initial realization, like it didn't bother me. I was I was into it. And one of the no, things that I, I really like about this story and that last one about the firefighting female prison. Oh yeah, uh, you're people. right. No, I'm wrong. He did that crime story. He did. Yeah. So this is his second one in a row. Okay, good for him. Neither of those books scream Scott Snyder at all. Yeah. His tendency previously has been to write a lot of text, a lot of first-person narration as he goes through things. And I thought that this was remarkably subtle in that way. Really, we got to see the action instead of being told about it. And at a certain point, captions stopped. Almost everything we learned was through actions. There's pages here with nothing written on them. We get to know the characters by their interactions with each other rather than being told directly. And I just, I like that, A, as a stylistic choice, and B, as what I hope is sort of a maturing of sort of the writing style and being like, I don't have to put so much because I have these amazing art. And I know that I'm saying this about one of the most successful and well-known comic writers of our life, you know, like our lifetime in here. But it was a thing that was not my favorite. And I really like the range that has been shown on the last couple of books. Like not everything has to be horror or supernatural because that was his bail. I mean, he was a horror writer when he came in, or at least that's how he's known. And so you've got this, you know, again, sometimes when there's a writer whose work you know really well and they do something that you could in no way tell it was them. You know, like if you put a Brian Michael Bendis book in front of me and didn't tell me who it was, I would say, oh, this is Bendis or someone trying to do Bendis. Mm -hmm. But this doesn't make me think of Scott Snyder at all. And I mean that as a compliment. I will agree and disagree. My only disagreement is that he does like to deep dive on something. And he'll talk about that if a book has an essay. Right. Clearly, he did a deep dive on how people fight forest fires, how convicts do it, because that last book was very detailed in tactics and terminology and things. Mm-hmm. This is a deep dive into this 20s and Barnstormers and the Pinkertons. I agree with you. I wouldn't guess this was Scott Snyder, but I, I do see his st- yeah. his working style in here and that he clearly loves to do the research yeah. on whatever he's writing about. I just mean like how it is presented. No, no, I agree page. with you. I totally agree with you. I'm just saying I can see it when I, when I know it's him. I say, oh, okay, I see where, where this is. But what you're talking about is an aspect of it that I love because yeah. that's why I like reading history. It's like why I like reading historical fiction because what was this world like? You know, like you've heard of a barnstormer. Maybe you didn't really know what the word meant, you know, and right. then or you did it one time and kind of forgot. And then there's this explanation. It's this guy and he's like, how do you even get a plane? And he's sort of going on fumes from town to town for pennies. And you think, what? Like this happened. I mean, this is a dramatized version, but this is all real. And that is fascinating. Like, that is so interesting. That it's like this little part of American culture that we don't know anything about, really. Yeah, the term that people probably know most is barnstorming baseball teams, which is basically the same mm-hmm. thing. They would, you know, just travel from town to town and play the local team. This is the same thing, but with planes. They would just travel mm-hmm. from town to town and put on a show, say, hey, we're, in, we're doing a show. Come out and see it. It's interesting. You know, it's, a, it's that post-First World War 20s and 30s where we're still sort of coming out of the Old West Mm-hmm. in a way and you know most people were living in rural farms and life was changing in america in the 20s mm-hmm. in a drastic way and this is sort of the last vestige of that old style yeah of entertainment i like the narration though it's zeke west the pinkerton agent played by william powell who was on their case you know it's like a future tense narration where we mm-hmm. know bad things are going to happen like it opens up saying you know this is all about a couple of bad decisions that end up a lot of deaths including these two and, you know we see the two main characters mm-hmm. and i should know i'm the one that killed them and so, you know, right away, we have more information than the main characters do, which creates tension. Mm-hmm. 
not just for them, but for us, because now it's like, okay, what's going to happen? How is this going to go wrong for them? Yeah. So it's almost a tragedy now. We're watching these two people: the pilot Hawk and the the bride who runs away. I don't remember her name, but she's headed Lamar. You know, they're going to fall in love. You knew who they like. You looked at them, and you were immediately like, oh, yeah. "That's Gary." Okay. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I believe I mean, it's not you. always Gary Cooper. I would say every fourth panel, it looks like Gary Cooper. Mm-hmm. What happened to the strong, silent type? You know, like Gary Cooper. Sorry, yeah, that's my William best Howell's more on on model. Mm-hmm. Hedy Lamar is pretty obvious to me, but you know, hey, whatever. Edley. This is unusual. I have not read a comic like this, maybe ever, in terms of mm-hmm. this setting, these type of characters, this situation. It's a totally new story. It's a crime story. Right. It's a love story. It's all the things. It's a little Bonnie and Clyde action, kind of. It's totally a little Bonnie and Clyde action. They decided they're going to go rob the rich people that she knows through her almost marriage. She was poor and almost married a really rich guy who's got kind of obnoxious facial hair. Yes, he does. I'm actually just on that page. Isn't that like Errol Flynn facial hair? Is that a thing? Kind of. It's, that's only when he played Robin Hood, really. Right, okay. He had a pencil-thin mustache, but that little chin thing is annoying. In fact, that doesn't look period correct. I feel like that wouldn't be there, but I don't know. It was interesting because I read it early and I sort of, like, I was, I was just trying to space things out and read them. And I got there, I was like, oh, I don't have the energy to read this entire thing. But once I got started, it, it didn't matter. And it took me a little while to have it sink in that I was like, I really enjoyed that. And I saw that you made it the pick of the week, not in the email that you sent me normally, but like on Instagram. And I went, mm-hmm. oh, that makes sense. That's all. Awesome. <laughs> like it just like I was like, well, it's interesting because at one point after I read it, I was thinking about because I, I told you about it. And I think maybe you were on the fence for a half a second. Yeah. And I almost said to you, like, actually, that was really good. And then I was like, no, not going to give you. Don't bias him. No, I know. That's what I mean. Yeah. Because I could say it's really good. And then you could be looking for something and not find it or vice versa. And you don't want to do that. All the time I want, I read a comic book. I think we both do this. We read a comic book and I, I want to talk to Connor about it immediately. And I can't. <laughs> Save it for the show. Yeah, this was good. I mean, I don't know how long it goes for. It was a Comixology original and now being published by Dark Horse. So theoretically, oh. you could go to Comixology and buy all the chapters right now. I think that explains the double issue then. Well, yeah, because there's a break in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a page that's clearly like the back page of a comic. And I was like, wait, is it over? And then they're like, nope, we're still going. So this is probably the first two issues that they put out through Comixology. But it works really well as a, as a meaty first issue. It really gave you yeah. a lot to work with. Yep. Good pick. Good book. Good, like, nice surprise. Yeah. I was really happy with it. There was a lot of interesting books. In fact, every book that we're going to talk about until the sort of the middle of the show was in the conversation in my head, in the discussion, mm-hmm. including Love Everlasting Number 9 from Image, Tom King, Elsa Chartier. We talked about this a lot. I just still don't know where this story is about or where it's going. But ever since the change happened a couple issues ago, it's going in an interesting direction where... Now, the main character, June, is old, mm-hmm. and her husband has died. We watch him die here yeah. of lung cancer, and she still hasn't jumped to another life. She still hasn't been taken by the cowboy, and so what's going to happen? But taking all that out, this was a really emotional and sad and well-done story about a woman losing her husband. I think it was rough. The other layer on that, if you want to like try to figure out what it's about, I think, you know, the story here has been that this character is looking for love and it, there's all sorts of romantic love that is short-lived and ultimately mm-hmm. unsatisfying, you know, and that that is heightened by the metaphor of the cowboy that comes along and shoots her every time, you know, she starts to fall in love until they get to this point where she meets this guy who is, by all accounts, a great guy. Mm-hmm. You could not come up with a more ideal husband. Stand up guy. But. Doesn't love him. She doesn't love him and never has. So, like, there's some story in here I think about the resignation of giving up a romantic ideal for something that's pretty good. 
but it isn't the same. But it's, yeah, safety, security. They have two kids. She doesn't love him, but she's not without affection for him. Exactly. No, totally. She is sad about his condition. She is mm-hmm. sad that he dies. She doesn't she's cry. Caring. She's she, not devastated. Right. She cares for him. She, you know, yeah. she does all the things. It's not like she runs away. It's actually kind of hard to tell. Like, does she, I, I can't tell what her relationship to her kids is. Like, if she loves them or they're just there too. It must be hard. I mean, if you're someone who knows that you're in some sort of multi-life situation, like how much do you care for the kids if you think at any moment you could end up waking up? Mm-hmm. In 1974, yeah. you know, yeah. in a whole other life. I gotta say, if you're a married man and you write this story, you're taking an <laughs> awful risk, Vader. <laughs> I'm so impressed with the Elsa Chartier yeah. cartooning here. It's so fun. There's so much great emotion in so few lines. You can feel every character, what they're thinking, what they're feeling in their faces. And there's a lot. And there's some great black and white panels here. Mm-hmm. The Matt Hollingsworth colors and our pages and totally black and white and... I just think this is an incredible book, even if I don't fully grasp it, because ultimately it's been like this series of wonderful short stories. Mm-hmm. You know, and remember in the beginning, you're like, doesn't matter what the story is. That was yeah. great. But I do like that over time there's a thread, and it's not necessarily a narrative thread. It is, but the attraction of it is the themes and the storyline that is going with this sort of one character. And I don't know how long it's going for. Next issue, she's in an old folks home. Issue 10, it could be the last issue. Maybe it's 12. I don't know. Maybe it's ongoing. This is another example of also like, this is not what I would call a typical Tom King book. You know, probably about the same time that Scott sort of struck out away from his winning formula. You know, Tom had done this. You know, he's getting, Bill Coseverly are getting lots of recognition for their Superwoman book now. And that was the same kind of thing. Like, what the, what is this? This is not what I was expecting. Like from the announcement of the title to all the things, you know, and this is the same thing. And I get the sense that like when he did this, he was like, mm. you know, like, I don't, I don't know if this is, here's the thing I want to do. It's so far ultimately extremely successful in the narrative sense. Again, not, not, I don't, I don't know how many people read it. I'm yeah, sure it's he'll a, get, a successful as a creative endeavor. I think. Yes. I'm sure he'll get an Eisner. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's the freedom of, you know, originally published on, I was going to say short stack. Substack. Substack. Ooh, I was thinking pancakes. about pancakes. I've been yeah. thinking about pancakes since the beginning. Oh, man, I want pancakes. So, you know, maybe there's the freedom of experimentation of a different kind of distribution form. I don't know what it was, but it, it's really interesting and not, as you said, not very Tom King. Yeah. Like, I don't know if it's the ADHD meds, but I want you to know that I stifled all of the pancake questions that I just came up with. <laughs> and they were a lot and they were detailed. And I'm going to tell you right now, it would have been a fascinating conversation for at least you and I. I just want them. Then you're like, well, what about bacon? Short stories. Go on. I had bacon and it was delicious. Swan Songs, number one, also from Image. This is a very indie-heavy episode because I think a lot of the great books. I I had a lot of books from the not big two. I think I had eight or nine from not the big two. Swan Songs, number one. Well, W. Maxwell Prince, who did the Aha, Haha, Haha, Haha Haha anthology we enjoyed. Also, Ice Cream Man, which we didn't enjoy, but we we enjoyed Haha. To be fair, I bailed on Ice Cream Man very early. It might have gotten great. Maybe. He seems to be back with another anthology book, this one drawn by Martin Simmons. And as the title might suggest to Swan Songs, this story is about the end of the world. The next story is about the end of a relationship. I can't it's remember. Basically, the theme is endings. Yeah, endings. And so each one will. And I don't think he's writing the next one. I, I might be the wrong. The next one's but, End of a Marriage yeah. with art by Casper Weingerd. Wasn't he the Secretary of Defense in the 80s? Yeah, Casper Weinberger. Is he on the art? He's the artist. Wow, that one came from nowhere. I can't remember. Well, you got the name. I know he from... was the Secretary of Defense, but. <laughs> I can't remember anything from last week, but I can remember. Was he, chief, was he Reagan's chief of staff? 
I don't know. Let's not do this. You talk about the book. Well, there goes the meds. I really enjoyed this quite a bit. It's a pretty dark story, but it had a weird sweetness. It just was interesting and bizarre. Like, so the whole thing is, again, this is about endings. And the first page is a splash page of a hospital with all the world at its feet in flames. The cars are turned over. Cars are on fire. There's a Jesus save sign. People are rioting with, with crosses. And for whatever reason, which we're not told, which is totally fine, people are convinced that the end of the world is very soon. There's countdowns on the TV. Right now they're at 23. I don't think it's that they're convinced. I think it's like they've all accepted it and it's happening. I don't think they're 100% sure, but they're pretty sure. It feels to me like when we start, and this is the thing I like about it. We don't know what's going to happen when it hits zero. We don't know. Right. Well, we know at the end. And the mother says, this is hogwash. Ain't nothing's going to happen when it hits zero. Like, there, no one's, no well, one's sure. People would. But but yeah. either way, I liked that there was in this story a sense of acceptance mm-hmm. about this thing that no one can control and everybody's just doing whatever. And I'm not saying it's good or bad or whatever, but as a condition of this story... Like, if the story is about the end of the world and you're just with a bunch of people who are panicking, that's not Mm -hmm. fun. It's stressful. This dude's just trying to get his mom a magazine to read while she's dying of kidney disease with however many minutes are left in the world. It was sweet. I really liked this. Yeah. And it reminded me, you know, I remember I had read probably one issue of Ice Cream Man. I was like, I don't really like that. And now I really, I'm like, because then that Ha Ha book, I didn't read, you started and you said it was was good. And I went and I was like, wow, this is really excellent. And this is like that, you know, like it, it's just a, it's a, we don't get a lot of short stories, single issue right. length anthology stories with like, it's not my favorite art, but it was perfect for the thing. Oh, I, I, I thought it was think. terrific. Yeah. I mean, just from like this, it told a beautiful story. Yes. It was dark and moody and yeah, it gave you a sense of discordance, right? Like the world yeah. was ending and everyone's having a bad time. So the art was kind of uncomfortable. I mean, it wasn't bad. Yeah. Not bad. I just mean like, normally I wouldn't really like this style very much. Sure. But as I'm looking at it, like, it did its job perfectly. Yeah. It creates a mood. It tells you exactly the, how the world is right now. If you look at the reds. coloring along their faces, like, the mother's nose is, like, sort of bright red, and so is mm-hmm. his. They just look unwell, and everything's kind of hot. And, you know, like, people have stopped shaving and washing. and Everyone just probably smells really bad. Yeah. It was just literally this young man who, his mother's dying, and he goes, he's like, oh, I think I'll get you another magazine. There's one more issue of that magazine that I haven't got you. And he goes out to get it, and of course, runs into various troubles with people who are, you know, either celebrating the end of the world or self-medicating or what what have you. You see the last page. Actually, the iconography of the countdown throughout this entire thing is really well done. All the time, it's going backwards. And if you look at the second to last page, there's all these colored blotches. And they sort of lead in, and they get, they get as you go to the bottom right oh, of the yeah. page, they get more dense, and it leads into the shot at the final end of the page. And and I don't think there's a spoiler for this that matters, and I'm guessing a lot, but it's an interpretation of this thing, which I have never seen. It's pretty clear what it is, right? but it's a visual interpretation of this event that, like, they made it kind of beautiful. Yes. It's kind of whimsical. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. I mean, it was a really lovely story. I could have made this pick of the week. Yeah, any of the books, including the next one, could have been Pick of the Week Mm -hmm. in my mind. Like, I was pretty happy with this week's books. So let's talk about the only one from the big two that was in the discussion, and that was Fantastic Four 702, parentheses 9. It did something I'd never seen before, which was it told a whole section of the story from Alicia's point of view Mm -hmm. with total black panels, and her describing what she's hearing and how she knows what's going on. Maybe that's happened and I just haven't seen it, but I was like, whoa, I've never 
Yeah. I've never seen that. Because you get a lot of Matt Murdock talking about it, but yeah. she doesn't have those extra sensory She doesn't powers. have the power, so right. she doesn't have the radar senses. So it was interesting. And even before that, she's describing how she and Ben like to read the comics, especially the ones that Marvel puts out about the Fantastic Four. Then it starts getting, you know, bending in on itself. And then you start wondering if she knows she's a comic book character or not. There's a bit where you kind of think she might know that. Then you wonder if Grant Morrison maybe wrote this book. She looks directly at us, but also she's blind on the second page. But I like that, you know, they have this thing where he describes the action and she that's how she knows what's going on because she knows all the people in the book. And I thought the whole beginning was really nice looking to how she interprets the world for herself. Mm-hmm. And then it gets to the black section. And I was like, oh, wow, I've never seen that. Yeah, I had that same thought. Yeah, I just thought that this is a, like a unique way to look at things because the thing about Alicia Masters is she is blind when they need her to be and they right. ignore it when they don't. That's true. And this is a sort of way it's to like go into that. Deaf. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, oh, there's all these reasons why they could get by otherwise. But there's been a lot of books where you would have no idea that Alicia was blind. Right. I probably could make this the pick because there was one instance of Sue calling her Allie again. <laughs> That's probably automatically disqualifies. Also, does Reed need to be super ripped? Well, here's the thing. He can be anything he wants. I know, but like, I feel like I always look back on the old 80s Fedesk 4, and he's just like a regular dude. And since his body's stretched, he doesn't need to be muscular. No, but also he wouldn't have that aesthetic to do it anyway. He doesn't have time. Look at that torso on page 14. Maybe that in is this instance. four hours a day in the gym between science and superheroing. Doesn't have the time. Chicken breasts. One <laughs> after lean, another. Just and broccoli. No. But this is fun. I like, and I like this as just a two-issue story with this character they brought back from old Marvel. Mm-hmm. They made everybody forget things, including Ben and Reed forgot the rest of the team. And, and there's even a really chilling moment where... Since Ben has forgotten who they are, he is unleashed attacking Sue and Alicia. And she says, I, for a moment, I see what he fears others see in him, the monster. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's good. There's also a, a thing in this where, you know, Johnny, basically that, you know, this monster has taken over everybody's thoughts and rearranging them to think that, you know, the people that they love are their enemies. and Sue is trying to hold them off, but eventually there's only so much he can do about all of them. And Johnny Storm seems to burn her alive. In the last pages, she is severely burned. Like, her hair is gone. I went back a couple of times. I was like, wait, is that? And then you get to the next page. Like, clearly that is what happened. Now, it was a feint, but I bought it entirely. I was like, holy shit. You yeah, really did that thing because that, you know, would bring the whole thing home. I'm glad it wasn't a real thing because that's one of those things. Like every once in a while, they'll give some one of these characters a trauma that like you have to just disbelieve because otherwise they'd never get over it. And that's one right. of them. Like if your brother burns you to a crisp, yeah. you're going to be in therapy for probably the rest of your life. <laughs> Ivan Fiorelli really likes the flame. Mm-hmm. There's like flame everywhere. And I sometimes think that they forget that it's not the flame so much as the heat mm-hmm. that kills you. There's one point where, like, the whole block is on fire. Everything's on fire. And there's just people huddling in between the flame. It's on page 12. Mm. I was like, all those people are dead from the heat. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Not from the flame. They've all been cooked. Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. If Johnny Storm set something on fire that he didn't mean to, does he have the power to take it back and deflame it? I don't know. They just seem to not want to have his powers be flames. They shouldn't let him anywhere near the western half of the United States. <laughs> unless he can do that and if he can do that then we have a job for him you mean you want him to suck up the flame from canada yeah all right get to it johnny well get to it ryan north's canadian we should get him on that (laughs) (laughs) let's stick 
on the Fantastic Four train, at least the Ben Grimm train, talk about the final issue of Clobber in Time, the five-issue miniseries from Steve's – what's his name? Scroachy. Scro- and that You know what? Since we talked about it, I forgot. I think it's Scroachy, though, like Grochy. You found out the pronunciation after the last episode, and you told me, and then I've forgotten. It's so I'm going to say Scroach again, but it's probably Scroach. It's definitely – It's he's not the Scroach. <laughs> Come on, guys. It's time to party. The Scroach brought beer. Scroach has arrived. Oh, man. <laughs> I liked this. We've talked about this miniseries a lot. It's probably the running for one of my favorite things this year. It ended well. We have Ben Graham. We have Old Man Doom, who gets knocked out of his armor. And I liked the running joke of his face being censored the entire time. <laughs> they team up together to save the universe and help Galactus be born because Galactus births our universe. It's all wrapped up in Marvel history and sort of Ouroboros seeing on itself with the strange watcher guy who ends up living with the Fantastic Four. I think the thing that impressed me the most about it was a complete surprise. Like didn't mm. know it was a thing that was coming. B, you know, I know this guy, Scrosi. Scrosi is what it says here on uh Scrosi. Croatian name. You know, this guy who who shows up every once in a while and does a beautiful comic book. Yeah. Not often. Uh, he does storyboard work, much like Gabriel Hardman yeah. did uh, Matrix Trilogy. He was gone for a while doing iRobot, V for Vendetta, Speed Racer. So basically, whereas Gabriel Hardman is the uh, Christopher Nolan guy. Also, not just him. He did no, indie. He does, he does all of I know. James Mangold's movies, too. Right. But uh, this guy is the uh, Wachowski's guy. Sci-fi, yeah. So, you know, he does these beautiful books sometimes. And... That's fine. He's also still working. So that doesn't go away. When he comes back, the books are still really, really good. But the fact that he wrote it so well, structure-wise, I thought the dialogue through the whole thing was really fun. Like, it was, I was like, you should write more stuff, man. Mm-hmm. It's good. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> and that was just unexpected. Well, he's always been sort of exalted, you know. Yeah. That's why it was always such a big deal when he came back. Because he went off to do movies, and then he would occasionally come back and do a book. And you're just like, oh, man, he's so great. And then he would go off again for five years. Mm-hmm. This was terrific. Yep. Captain America 750, big anniversary issue that came at the end of, I guess, that last story that you and I both dropped off of. Terrible. Just enough. Who was the enemy? The enemy was like some concept. It was some secret organization that secretly made a shield. The shield was secretly uh, evil. Like, the, not itself, but like an evil right. construct. Jackson Lands and Colin Kelly, good writers, but like, I don't, and it's not just them. It happens everywhere. Taking apart every little bit of a character and making it, oh, well, this is secretly part of a long-standing plot against him you know it's just like can he just have a shield does it have to be part of this group that is in a shield-shaped base that may help make the shield like no they don't have any stories left and everybody wants to make their imprint so they can dig into something that's long existed and then give it a spin and for a lot of them it's going to work that way because they're going to talk about it you know like oh well there was this just have steve punch some aim goons It was the word goons that brought the whole thing together. Thank you. Yeah. This had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven stories. I'm not going to go through all of them, but two I'm calling the main stories. One for Sam, one for Steve. The first one, the Sam story is really good. Tochi Onabuchi and R.B. Silva did that, and it was basically about Sam hanging out with Misty Knight, and he was talking about his reservations about being Captain America, and he should because it's a terrible idea. And then the <laughs> second one was basically the epilogue to, I guess, the last story. I, I was, I almost stopped reading it because it was like almost a full size story, and I was just like, mm-hmm. I don't care about any of this, and it was a bad idea in the first place. And but it, it was a funeral for one of the old Golden Age characters, so they brought a bunch of people back, and the name more was there, and Bucky was there, and I guess now 
Sharon Carter is a superhero, and she's taking over the mantle of this guy who died. She's got a skull mask, and it looked like she was evil for a second. Anyway, I didn't like that. But there was a couple of gems in the other bits. There was a really nice JMD Matias Serapicelli story about young Steve Rogers, who had a friend when he was a kid. And I don't like that they moved him to Brooklyn. I hate the movie's influence and everything. He was Lower East Side, mm-hmm. just like Jack Kirby, and now he's a kid from Brooklyn. And also, like, if you don't think that that matters, you're Did. wrong. It matters yeah. a lot. Those are different cultures. That's where those guys grew up. Yeah. So anyway, he had a friend when he was a kid. Kid turned out to be gay, and it was about friendship and acceptance, and it was good. There's some hellified names in this art lineup. Oh, yeah. No, once you got past the main story, this was all really strong. Dan Jurgens on story and art. That's a treat. That was a really good one, too. Dan Jurgens going through the sort of history of Steve and... His story was all about how you can take the man out of the 40s, but you can't take the 40s out of the man. Like, he goes back and Jarvis makes him, like, a chipped beef dinner with all the stuff they would have eaten in the 40s. Like, horrible food. Yeah, but, but you know, he's got great metabolism. And plays the Andrew sisters on the sound system. Like, mm-hmm. I always like that they don't forget that he's a man from the 40s. And then Gail Simone and Daniel Cunha's final story was just terrific. That's great. I haven't seen Daniel Cunha in forever. He's so good. This was about... Caps fighting uh, Hydra agents in Central Park. Or, I'm sorry, not Central Park. Calliope Park. Somewhere else in New York City. He gets shot. Everybody thinks he's dead. These kids, local kids, find his shield in the snow. And they want to protect it. And then it's just a really, really good story. So there was a three or four really, really strong, enjoyable reads in here. I'm looking forward to the reboot. Even though it is J. Michael Straczynski. If he can do anything, he can do that. The last time you and I both dropped a Captain America book. No, I can imagine. I mean, I lasted a few more issues than you did, but it never got any. Oof. Oof. All right. Let's talk about Captain Marvel. <laughs> okay. First of all, this vicious stereotyping and persecution of Mainers. All right. All right. The, Captain Marvel Dark Tempest has to stop. Number one, this is a miniseries coming out of the end of the 50 issue run of Captain Marvel from Kelly Thompson before the next volume. This is a, the return of Anna Senti who was a huge name in the 80s and 90s, most specifically on Daredevil. I was a big fan of her Daredevil work. Mm -hmm. I was excited to read this because I liked her work in the 80s and 90s. Sure. And that turned around for you quickly. First page says that they are in Harpswell Sound, Maine. It Mm -hmm. turns out that I grew up in the next town over from Harpswell. No one says Harpswell Sound. That's not a thing. They're in Rodney's Bar, which they referred to as a pub. There are no bars in Harpswell. It is largely rural and along the... In the Marvel Universe, there could be a bar there. That's fine. My brother, it, no, it doesn't fit. There would be nowhere for it to be. It's somewhere. My brother That's lives in Harpswell. I checked with him. I was like, is there a bar? He goes, there's like two tourist restaurants, but no. And I was like, that's what I thought. So there could be a bar in the Marvel okay, Universe. Listen, that's just the beginning. That put me on edge. There's no superheroes in Harpswell either, but in the, here I they decided are. to go with it. Okay. And then what I was confronted with was some of the worst faux main dialogue of my life. Again, <laughs> it was not good. Checked with my brother, who is, point of fact, a lobsterman. In Harpswell. From Harpswell. And I said, <laughs> this is ridiculous, right? And he said, this is offensive. This is terrible. I said, I know. So we have a thing here. And what I learned is that Carol Danvers and her Wikipedia entry is massive. But nowhere does yeah. it say she's from here. Apparently, at some point, the story became that her family would spend their summers in Harpswell. They summered there. Right. They summered there. So... Or as Mainers would say, it's a fucking tourist. 
Yeah, but she's hot, so they don't care. Right. But she, she knows all these men and she hangs out with them. So at one point, like they t- they all look outside because there's a storm coming that they can see, I guess. And then she says, blowing wicked. Think it'll get worse? No one says that. They say blowing <laughs> wicked hard or like no one says blowing wicked. And then two panels later, she's like, why do guys always call the boats her? All right. Either you're a mainer <laughs> or you're not and know why people call a ship her. Or you're not. You cannot be both of those things on the same page. It does not work. Then she saves a boat and what, whatever. Like, those are all nitpicky. And I was just like, this is ridiculous. Like, if you were anybody who was part of a, a certain culture and they just bastardize it like that, you would be like, I can't get into this. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yep. You, it's like you saw two movies once and like, I can write these people. You cannot. It didn't get any better. That's my point. It was bad. Bad. I was excited for this and it was it was bad. Not good. It was not bad dialogue. It was bad dialogue. There was a lot of like, <laughs> I forgot. Like it was like a scared straight thing for kids who don't give a shit about anything. <laughs> and I was like, what is this awful, dangerous minds crap? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it started off with like really stereotypical main stuff, and then it turned into really stereotypical like black teens in yeah. in, a, in a city. And I was just like, <laughs> this is this is not bad. aging well. <laughs> And the, th- the thing is, like, I think it suffered from having to be shoved into the continuity. Like, if this sure. was if this was like old Carol Danvers in the old costume, maybe it would have made more sense. But the woman talking here bared no resemblance to the no. woman like, who we just spent fifty issues with. None whatsoever. Different personality. I think you'll find that hope is pretty cool, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, that's not an exact quote, but that is what she said. Yeah, it just it was not good. It was not good. good. Yeah, it looked good, but it was not good. If not for all that dialogue, there was a weird segment where she had to save a boat from floating away, and she decided not to use her powers. And I was like, all right, do that for a little bit, but uh, not enough. Why is she hanging out in a bar? She's an alcoholic. That's an excellent point, too. And they were like, you can toast with water. And I was like, that is not how main lobster men toast with water, actually. Really bad luck. Yeah. No one does toast with water. You're not supposed to anyway. Yeah. But luckily she and the and the youths got sucked into a, a portal and I'm sure that she'll teach them about not being so cynical about the world. They don't know about coffee brandy. That's what she would have had in there. There's a there's a there's a name brand. I don't remember it. Not good, Bob. Hey, by the way, Casper yeah. Weinberger was the Secretary of Defense. There you go. Between the two of us, we got it right. Yeah. Sins of the Salted Sea, number two of five, number one was pick of the week, Ed Brisson, C. P. Smith from AWA and here it is, Josh. We got there finally. At the end of issue two, the supernatural element injures the picture. The little monster at the end. Oh, I don't even think I remember that. Yeah, the very <laughs> last panel is a little creature. Well, that's not necessary. Oh, yeah, look at that. Nope. I don't think I even saw it. Your mind just refused to accept it. Yeah, I guess it's possible. We learned Ugh. confirmation that these two guys were brothers, despite looking nothing alike. Although you and your brother do look enough alike. I'd not be surprised. Whereas these two, I like. We don't. Not Tegan. <laughs> Tegan and I don't look alike. We just, there's nothing. You look more like your other brother, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, him and I look exactly the same. I still really enjoyed this. I did too. All I saw was the world dies, and I thought, oh, there's some sort of thing. I don't think I clocked that picture on the right side. That's fine. Just keep pretending like it's not there. Right. So the next we'll talk about the third issue, you'll be like, wow, it's only four pages. <laughs> so this, you know, we had the, the heist gone wrong in the first issue where these the, these two guys, part of this crew, they think they're robbing a armored car full of money and jewels, but turns out it's holding a mother and a daughter. Everybody in the heist gets killed except for the one guy, although he finds out later his brother's not quite dead yet. And I was into it, and I was even shocked by some things that happened in it, like when someone gets yeah. shot in the head unexpectedly. 
Yeah, I, I, all those things I thought. I, I think it was any problem, a little one, is that the mother was drawn to be exactly the same age, if not younger, than the daughter. So I was like, wait a minute, who? Oh, wait, that's the mom. Actually, to be fair, it was actually written in such a way that it was very easy to tell who I was looking at. But visually, like, she just has a shorter, more youthful haircut than the daughter, who isn't really on screen directly that much. There's not really a close-up of the daughter. Yeah. But, I, you know, like, I thought it was good. It was really compelling. I want to know more about who the person is. The husband, which, by the way, very similar character to the Barnstormers book in that way. Yeah, true. You know, and I'm into the main character guy. I Like, he's... Brian K. Vaughn. He's interesting. No, no. Certain, certain panels, the bad guy looks like Brian K. Vaughn. No, the, but no, no. But but uh, I'm talking about rock and roll. No, the main guy's interesting, yes. Rock and roll from G.I. Joe. That's who <laughs> this is, right? <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Yes, it is. I enjoyed this. I enjoyed this. You made it the pick of the week, right? Yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you did. I'm looking forward to finishing it and seeing how the monster plays into it. Damn it. I think that's Quato <laughs> from Total Recall. So those are the books we're going to talk about. There's lots of books we're going to talk about more of them, but we have to move on to the patron pick. Every patron has a chance every week to vote to add a book to the rundown. This week, by a wide margin, was Weird Work, number one, from Image Comics, written by Jordan Thomas, art by Chicky Kane, letters by Letter Squids, and this team had done one of the stories... In a recent book we talked about, was it also the patron pick? No, the Oni anthology. The, the, oh, the, the, that's right. That's right. I forget what the title of it was. It was Xenu or something like that. Xenu. No, that's... I think, that's, I think no, Xenu is, is the... Xenu is the... Tom Cruise stay young. Shut it. Shut it. Shut it. Stop. Stop. All right. So let's preface this review. This is the second time in the history of iFanboy in which a book written by a patron has been voted quite consciously by the patrons because he didn't really want to be patron pick but they all were like no you're going on stage and they shoved them on there that's that was the basically the discussion the discord happened so mm-hmm. the last time it was uh by the horns i believe was the book this time it's weird work i'm gonna say similar thing i said last time which i'm not gonna remember exactly what i said but basically it's jordan's a patron we appreciate the patronage more than anything we're gonna take this review down the middle and be as honest and constructive as we can be in the review of the book so far i did check this doesn't say anything about maine there's I no main characters. There's in none movie. in it. So right away, you're off to a good start. So this is a sort of sci-fi detective noir story. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of things I really like about this. One, I don't know if it's Shaky Kane's art. It might be. It feels very much like an 80s comics with an X. It feels like Mike Allred. It has a feeling of like books that were published a long time ago. It does have a bit of an Allred feel to it. There's a lot of an Allred feel to it. That represented a certain kind of comic mm-hmm. you know 30 years ago that you don't see much of anymore and i like that part aspect of it it has a narration that's very reminiscent of la confidential mm-hmm. it's probably conscious because it's a magazine editor mm-hmm. telling us all about the people in the town it's danny devito danny devito yep i liked it it had a very interesting tone so jordan is english and oh. so oh all the cops had english titles like didc I mean, this is not taking place anywhere. It's a fucking place with, you know, squid creatures and stuff. So, right. But it it sort of merged like, yes, traditional American noir with British sensibilities or British iconography. Honestly, that clears up a lot for me. (laughs) Okay. There's a mob war going on. There was a mob leader sort of running crime. They got removed from the picture. So now there's a big war over, over this town. I really like the opening sequence with the pig senator who gets attacked in his car and escapes via ejector seat like it has a kind of unhinged humorous tone to it that i enjoyed it's a little 
hard to take in all the different characters and all the different details and everything when everybody's yeah. just sort of a strange creature. But that's my big. I think it took me. I think I went the opposite in that, like, I actually really didn't like the first sequence because I couldn't wrap my head around the jargon. I have a hard time. I don't like jargon in comics in general. Like, I think of Dark Knight Returns or something like that. And like, you read it enough times and you sort of get used to it as a thing. Josh, but don't shiv. When you're when you. Well, right, but that's just canon now. But that, every time I have to sort of get into a new one, I'm yeah, spending hard. more time trying to figure out what the fuck they're talking about than knowing who I'm looking at or why or what's actually happening. And I just find that to be tedious. Even in my favorite books, in Preacher, there's like large parts of it where Garth Ennis writes in the, um, when you say the sound of the word. Onomatopoeia? No, uh, it, but he writes in their accent. like it, Phonetic. Like it, Phonetic, exactly. And I find that, like, so Ars Face was always written like, and I just stopped reading that entirely, and I just read the yeah, caption. Yeah, you know if you said it out loud, it was really fun, and you could hear what he was saying. You're totally right, but it slowed it all down for me. I get it. You, you've never liked phonetic writing in comics. No, I don't. And like, again, like, actually, they didn't write that Captain Marvel story like that, thank God. But, <laughs> it, but also, just in comics, like, sometimes it's difficult to know what the accent is supposed to be. So I was like, is, are these, like, supposed to be, like, New York accents? I couldn't tell. But... As sort of we got into the part with the two detectives, the red and blue people, hmm. it settled for me. And I was much more interested in what was happening at this well, point. Well, because the first however many pages, you're getting a lot thrown at you mm-hmm. until page 12, where the main character shows up, the cop who is all blue and his partner has been killed and he's got to go in. And But before that, you're just getting like tons of information and tons of characters. And each one is different. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, this guy looks like a devil. The main crime boss looks sort of like a blue alien Cleopatra. The senator's a pig. So there's just a lot you're taking in trying to figure out, why is this guy look at Scud the Assassin? I enjoyed that first segment, but I did get lost a little bit mm-hmm. in the storytelling. Like at one point, you know, these four hitmen start shooting in the car. First of all, I didn't realize he was getting an alien blowjob until I really looked at it. Because I think the sound effects covered up what was happening. But then at the bottom of Josh, for you, page five... Like someone shoots two of the hitmen. I don't know who that was. I was confused by that. Mm-hmm. Did the other hitmen shoot? Or are they, are they security? But they look like they're all shooting at the car. So like, I don't know. I, I was a little confused about what happened. Even though I liked it, I thought the character was funny. Yeah. I think that comics and like, there's a lot of things. They always lead with a cold open of like, look at all the things. It's exciting. And I don't think that always works. Hmm. There's two ways to sort of give you context for a world. There's one to just show you a bunch of it at first and have it make sense later. And then there's the other way around. Because this was sort of a surrealistic world with lots of sort of different types of creatures and everybody was the wrong color and they were speaking Mm -hmm. in accents. I had a really hard time taking the cues of what I was supposed to get out of it. And what I, and then when the detective stuff started, I went, oh, okay. It's a detective story. It's a noir story. I get that. But that first bit was so nuts. Yeah. That I just couldn't grab onto it. And I thought, if the whole thing is like this, and that's the thing, there's been a lot of books where the whole thing is like that. And you're like, I don't know what the fuck you were just trying to tell me. So I thought, well, this is going to be that. And it settled and it gave context to the things that happened yeah. before. I think you're totally right. Once it starts on the cops, it becomes much more relatable. There's a story. You like once yeah. I, I was like, oh, here's a story. I want to know what the story is. That's the main point in most of these. I for think me. it might have helped by paring down the number of different kinds of creatures. Because mm-hmm. when you get to the cops, they're almost all humanoid. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in the beginning, it's every single person is a different kind. One guy looks like SpongeBob SquarePants. Like, it's just all different 
And so it's hard to put your finger on the world when it just seems right, like it's yeah. a lot of things. There's a reason that there are the stereotypes and the visual cues, and I don't mean stereotype in the worst sense, but like the visual cues to sort of give you a foothold in the world and know, okay, this is the kind of person I'm looking at or other, because it's really easy to let your imagination run wild and create all sorts of things. But if you're a reader doing, you know, however many comic books and, you know, like, all right, what is it you want me to grab onto? Because you don't have a lot of time to get my attention. And so maybe dial back that rampant imagination for the sake of the reader and i don't know maybe there are people who really respond to it there's lots of comics you know that i don't get into that people are are super into but like i said it righted itself it it straightened and i was able to get a hold of it and then the stuff at the beginning made sense or whatever but like you know i'll be honest like with a new book if it doesn't look like something i immediately want i'm ready to bail immediately right you know because there's too many other things but they paid off a triple murder. One of the people murdered is the cop's partner, and two of the other ones are criminals. They don't know why it happened. His new partner has the stain of corruption on her, and so you know that to me was interesting. And then so there's a, and it was a good cliffhanger. So I'm I like the opening scene, but they got it was really chaotic, and then it settled down, as you said, Josh. So I enjoyed. It. And the shaky cane art's really strong. It's just that occasionally I got lost in the storytelling, but the imagination and the way he draws. Tons of different kind of characters. And he also colors it. And the colors all really bright and poppy, yeah. which I liked. Um, it looks good. You're right. It looks very like Mike Allred sort of by way of. And the, the color very much contributes to that. By way of a bunch of 80s comics, I just didn't know enough to be able to tell you their names. But I remember mm-hmm. seeing them. So, ratings on the hush hush and on the QT. <laughs> very hush hush and on the QT. Out of five. Give it to me straight, Doc. So 3.75. That's what I think. 3.15. One five. Okay. One five. I didn't love it. It's just mm-hmm. not the kind of thing I, I love, but I was happy to see that it was competent and it grabbed my attention. I think that that is a remarkable turnaround. Yeah. It's original. It's original yeah. as shit. <laughs> Sticking with it. I don't know. I might. I think I want to see what happens next with the cliffhanger. And I want to see, you know, now that the story settled down, I want to see sort of what they do with it. You know, where they're not trying to world build. It's interesting because we recently read that short story of of Jordan's and it was a really skillful little sort of bit of a story. And I think it is interesting to see, you know, I mean, I don't know how long he's been at this, but he's obviously getting some traction and getting somewhere now. And so like there's all those years of preparation to get the point where you seem like a newcomer. But as you hit that sort of grindstone of having to actually do the work in the environment, it shaves off a lot of those edges. And he's in that part right now where, you know, he's going to learn to hone the craft. Like for a while, it was like you get by on an innate skill and passion and imagination and everything. And then as you get into the working thing, like you learn to really pare down and be very efficient with your storytelling. Right. This is a creator that's in the middle of that process in the early Mm -hmm. part of it. And I find that really interesting. Same thing. You go read Jonathan Hickman's you know, first couple of books, you know, to where he sort of ends up. Uh, lots of guys like that. You learn to edit down. Yeah. You just got to edit. Because for, for a while, you, you want to impress. Yeah. Certain artists or whatever, they want to do the same thing, but also their game, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. well, I'm sure it's super fun to draw. Yeah, exactly. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. That's where every patron can vote to add a book to the rundown. But that's also where people directly support our show. It's our main little group of supporters that hangs out there. They support the show. They unlock shows for everybody. All the Splode shows you get to hear every month are from them. And they become part of a great community on Discord and Facebook. Like I said, the Discord community rallied around Jordan, and they pushed him under the stage this week. And you can be part of that community if you want. We had a whole bunch of new people join 
patron in the last couple of weeks. We had a whole bunch of new people join the Discord server. It's a great community. And also, they get things like the monthly patron hangout, which is happening next week, I believe. So check it out there if you feel like you want to join. We added our merch, our tier-exclusive merch. Depending on your level of support, after three months of support, you get your own exclusive merch. We don't even have it ourselves. The Junior Jamoak t-shirts and tote bags and hoodies and the stickers and mugs and posters. And Do I have to pay to get one? I don't even know how we would do it. Okay. It's tied to your patron and you, after three months. Like, I don't even know. Well, the it's fact like is, threadless where I, you could just order I'm not so. a junior Jamoke. I'm I'm a Jamoke. <laughs> You're I'm a full of, Jamoke. Yeah, no, I mean, like, there's there's only two. I'm going to get you a shirt and just put a piece of masking tape over the junior <laughs> part and write full. <laughs> so there you go. Access to Discord server starts at $10 or higher a month, and $5 or higher gets you the patron power, which we're going to get to in a second. And so thanks to everyone who supports the show. You keep the show going, keep the lights on, you keep us remunerated for all the work and all the stuff we have to buy to do it. So thanks for doing that. Why is your nonsense shirt have the word junior scratched out and the word <laughs> senior written over it? <laughs> it would take too long to explain to literally everyone. <laughs> I found out threadless.com is where you can buy our t-shirts, including the pride shirt we put out for last month for pride. Uh, half of which all the proceeds went to it gets better project, which we're going to now that pride month's over, if we can calculate that, send it off. And 13 designs are currently there. We have some more in the, in the hopper. You'll see those soon. But not soon because we're heading into vacation time and probably in September. Had a hopper really appropriate to what we were just talking about. Exactly. So check those shirts out. They just had a sale. Every time there's a holiday, there's always a sale there. So they just had a big sale at Threadless. So check that out there. Femma.com slash support is our digital PayPal tip jar for all of you billionaires and soon to be trillionaires out there who listen. We know you do. I feel like we had like a couple, but it was all crypto and they're wiped out. Oh, that could be. Yeah. That could be. We don't accept crypto. We only accept cash. American dollars. Femo.com <laughs> slash Amazon. That's where you can find our Booksplode links and a link to shop. And booksshop.org is where you can help out local bookstores by buying our Booksplode books. You can find those links on the Booksplode pages. And thanks for all those who support the show in any way you can. Even if it's just listening, we do appreciate that very much. We also accept specie. Gold, what is that? Gold oh. specie or, or uh, silver. You know, any of your... Oh, yeah. Doubloons. Yeah. Any of your precious metal. Yeah. Ingots. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Bars. Anything. You know how like in every bit of fiction I've ever read my entire life, like the thing about gold bars is how heavy they are? Yeah. I really want to lift a gold bar once in my life so I can find out what that actually is. I think if you go to Fort Knox, they just let you hold them. Do they? I'm sure they do. Like who wants to hold some gold? I'm sure that's the thing that happens there. I heard a thing once that said that all of the gold in the in existence in the world would just about but not quite fill up an olympic-sized swimming pool that's all there is you mean the gold has been dug out yeah that we know about that exists hmm. 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 that's not what die hard with a vengeance told me There's a lot meanwhile of we're there. shaving it and putting in liquor <sighs> jesus fucking assholes <laughs> we deserve whatever heat related death is coming to all of us so like i said if you're the patron at the five dollar or higher level at patreon.com slash fanboy you get a dumb superpower live at the show it's not always dumb who says that sentient sidewards is dumb i don't but so we'll see this week what Josh has in store for this patron. I can't believe I wanted to write comic books and I couldn't think of something as good as sentient sideburns. Mm. It's just so good. So Daniel Jocelyn is the string master. Oh. Harnessing the power of all available string, cordage, cotton, hemp, any other materials that are twisted together to form a thin tensile length. I he looked that rope? up, by the way. No, no, no. It's, it's so much more oh. than that. 
he is the master of all string, as Magneto is the master of magnetism and metals, Daniel can control all available string. And and you, you're wondering to yourself, like, what is string? And the mm. definition is it's material consisting of threads of cotton, hemp, or other I material see. twisted together to form a thin length. That's a string. And he makes string. No, no. He harnesses string. Harnesses he string. He pulls together the, the string. I want you to imagine Magneto <laughs> standing there, arms out. As Magneto would control metal, he controls string. Exactly. I see. Yeah. So, like, if, for example, like, he needed string and there wasn't a bunch around, but you had, like, a shirt on, it would take some time, but he could harness that string and manipulate it as he, as he, no, to, you know, wrap stuff up and trip, <laughs> okay. trip people, you know, you bring right. down a plane with string. You can do whatever you need to. I think I apparently made him a supervillain without meaning to. That happens sometimes. Sure. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. That is how you can get a superpower like Daniel's string power. How is he with string theory? It's a different thing entirely. Okay. You'd think being the string master, yeah. he would, but really that the string is just the name of the metaphor to sort of explain <laughs> these multi-universal theories. He keeps getting invited to physics symposiums. Yeah. And like, he's a speaker and he's like, I shouldn't be here. I don't know anything about string theory. I can barely follow along. But you're the string master. Yeah, but yeah. it's not the same. And he's like, yeah, look down at your shoes. What? <laughs> your shoes were tied, and now they're not. String master, out. <laughs> All right. You can have that's an extra bonus, Daniel. We can do at least one email, I think. Kenneth J. from the Great White North, which is currently on fire. Hopefully everyone is safe and sound. Kenneth says, is Alan Moore in a comic book writer tier by himself at the top of the heap? If so, is Tom King, with his prestige-style limited series, quickly approaching it and about to join? What is it Newton said about standing on the shoulders of giants? Both of those men stand firmly on the shoulders of the giants who came before them. Sure, but I think Alan Moore is still the best writer of comics of all time. It's true, but most of his best work is highly referential of the material that came before him. Yeah, but that doesn't make a difference, really. I know. It's just, I also, for whatever reason, I tend to think of Alan Moore as... Like he said, his own pile. Is he by himself? Like, he kind of is. He didn't follow many of the rules of comic book writers. He came along and he did a thing that sort of changed stuff. But I don't know. It feels like he was never really a part of the community in that way. But I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. It doesn't about. matter. It all measures the output. And so I think at one point we talked about doing a video show, like, you know, ranking the comic creators of all time. But I think if you rank the writers, I mean, yes, every comic writer is working on whatever came before, but. I think he is by far, far and away, the best comic writer of all time. And I don't think it's close. I think in that time, my sort of definition and thought of what makes a a great comic book writer has shifted a little bit. And I mean, I love Alan Moore. I love his stories. They do something that's amazing. But I think I'd have a hard time putting him so far ahead of everybody else it's just a, he's the only guy who does the thing like he does i think it's like makes me like a david simon like david simon comes along and does a tv show that is so thoughtful and expansive and just nuanced and perfect in every single way it's almost like impossible to compare him to other people because nobody else can do it like that i mean he literally changed the industry with one book i mean no one else has ever done that i don't know he's the, the sort of main one but it was sort of part of a zeitgeist at the time that was happening he stands at the head of it, I guess. But I think definitely part of a movement, like all that stuff seemed to coalesce at the same time for reasons I don't understand. 
They were far enough away from the founding of you know the superhero age, but I just think he dominated the early two thousands with ABC in a way that people who weren't around don't understand. Completely influential. Mm-hmm. It's just not even close to me. But if you put that as a given, just for the sake of the question, mm-hmm. we love Tom King. He's not in Alan Moore's level. No, he writes probably my favorite comics going, but he's still not at Alan Moore's level. <laughs> he's not. He isn't, and he would laugh at the notion. I believe it's like the kind of thing where it's such a difference that it wouldn't even be an insult. If you were walking around, if anybody since 1986, 2000, whatever, anybody in the period after there was an Alan Moore was comparing themselves to Alan Moore, they would be delusional. I will give you that. Right. Like that doesn't exist. Like you can't compare yourself to Jack Kirby. It just isn't happening. It's not how it goes. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I I think, you know, it's like Tom King is clearly, you know, born of Alan Moore. Oh, for sure. I mean, he writes, I mean, his nine panel grids, he's clearly influenced by him. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, I don't know, because we just don't know anymore, how popular his books are. That's true. I mean, I just, we have no context for that. Like, Alan Moore's books changed the industry, and people were aping him to this day. And I don't know that you see a lot of, I mean, Tom King is doing Alan Moore. And so anyone doing Tom King would just be doing Alan Moore. Do you know what I mean? I will give you that. It's certainly since that time, there is nobody so singular. There's nobody whose name carries a cachet that when they do a comic book, at any point, it could become a mainstream standout. I don't mean the bestseller in comics, but like Watchmen sells a million copies a year. Or it had right. up until a certain point. I don't know if it still does, but like sales have been consistent for decades. Is he the only comic creator on Masterclass? I think he is. The British version on Masterclass. He's on right. There. I'm sure there's people who are relatively new to comics or even in the last 10 years who are sort of rolling their eyes because Alan Moore right now is sort of a caricature of himself and hasn't done mm-hmm. any work that's been at all influential in the mainstream in well over a decade. However, mm-hmm. if you were around in the comics from the early 80s through the mid 2000s, He's the most important comic writer of that time. The other sort of thing that's going to screw up your context for it is that there have been several bad to kind of okay movies based on Alan Moore's work, and it is Mm -hmm. not in any way a reflection of the work itself. No, no, no. no. I mean, if you use that as your context, and I'm sure people I mean, I have an Alan Moore shelf that's just absolutes of Viva Vendetta and Promethea and Leave Extraordinary Gentlemen and Top Ten. And that doesn't even count Swamp Thing, or the stuff he did over at Wildstorm before the ABC stuff. Are there bad Alan Moore books? And Watchmen also. Yeah, of course. I mean, the new stuff is not... I mean, I haven't read a lot of the new stuff, but... Mm-hmm. The final volume of League of Strange Gentlemen wasn't that good. You know, it happens. I just figured I on some everybody. of those, I was just, like, missing it. I was like, whatever, it went beyond me. But I think I'm savvy enough to know that's probably not the case. Why don't I have Watchmen over there? Oh, because I couldn't fit it. Anyway... He's in a class by himself, and Tom King is great and my favorite writer going, but he's not in Alan Moore's class. No one's in Alan Moore's class. He's by himself. Mm-hmm. The only person you can make the argument that came close to the influence of Alan Moore was Bendis. Because after Bendis, everyone was trying to do Bendis, and they couldn't do Bendis, and so they stopped. But the difference is that... It was short-lived, because no one could do it. Well, not only that, but like Bendis is Bendis, and Alan Moore is so much more than that. I mean, no, like I'm just saying, someone, from- who's, someone who came along... And who's, yeah. everyone tried to ape their style. 
No, I, I get that. But like I'm saying, like, it, at least with Brian Bendis, you have a stationary target. With Alan Moore, you can read Watchmen or you could read From Hell or you yeah. could read oh, from sure. Top Ten. And it's Absolutely. like, this is the same guy. And they're all exemplary. And not only just exemplary in plotting and storytelling, like the dialogue is the best dialogue yeah. in all of these different genres. And characterization also. Yeah. I mean, also, I mean, if, to be fair, also Warren Ellis. Again, in early 2000s, when, when Warren Ellis was introducing decompression and Bendis was introducing like super dialogue-heavy cinematic storytelling, everyone tried to do those two styles. No one could really do them like they could. Ellis' style is more replicable than Bendis's. I think a lot of people probably also tried to do Ennis. Yeah, maybe. In the, that part of the 90s, sort of before. Ennis is very similar to Alan Moore. Yeah. I think that there's definitely some of that. I just feel like there was a bit, and I almost feel like Ellis is a, a spinoff and a maturization of Ennis. Like, it's the attitude of it, but with sure. a more formalized style. Does that but make none, sense? none of that lasted. None of that was sustainable. And no. so none of it really happened. But I would be great if Alan Moore came out with a comic that just was awesome and everyone loved. And, you know, it was for mass appeal as opposed to what he's doing now. But he's not. That's just not what he's into. And he's off being grumpy and doing what he's doing. It is one of those things that makes it difficult a little bit to just be like, yeah, he hates all this stuff he did, or he says he does. And you're like, well, I really like it though. Why did you make it if you, if you don't? Yeah. But you know how many people make things that you love that they hated? No, oh, no, I get it. I'll talk to anybody making movies or TV shows. He makes me feel bad for liking this thing that he made <laughs> that he wants to discount. I will say this. I was watching that trailer for that DC documentary that Warner Brothers is putting out. And at one point, they start talking about Watchmen and how influential and important it was. And on the screen, they showed before Watchmen stuff. Ugh. Those are stuff we enjoyed, but it was like sure, but that's not that's not what they're talking about. <laughs> it's like it's like a Pete Townsend solo album or like McCartney two. <laughs> it's not the same. All right, let's wrap this up. Contact.fanboy.com is you can write in like Kenneth. Also, you can write in for a media explode to put media explode in the subject line. A bunch of people did that this past week for our next media explode, which I think comes out in like two weeks or three weeks. We want to do a summer mailbag. We did it last year. It was super fun. We could theoretically do that with the email we have now, but I want to give people a chance to write in if they want to get in the summer mailbag. So anything related to non-comics media, write it in for media explode. The subject line, we'll put it into the big old pot for the summer mailbag, and we'll just go do that for the next episode. We'll just do an all-email show after we talk about what we've been watching. So if you want to get on the summer mailbag, fun. You know, lots to talk about. There's lots of summer movies, lots of big summer movies, lots of flops, lots of interesting releases, big movies every week at the theaters. Or TV shows. Whatever your thoughts are. Music, books, plays, street theater, mimery. Photography. Anything you want to talk about that's non-comics media related, put it into the email. Send it over. Contact at fanboy.com. And speaking of other shows, just a couple of days ago, Josh released his Talksplode, the one we've been really excited about. It finally happened. It came out. Josh interviewed Howard Shaken. Well, not the last, but one of the few people left who worked almost from the beginning. 54 years he's been making his living from comics. Right. You're talking about a guy who came up reading Golden Age comics, came of age in the Silver Age, and he's like, guy's 12 years old when Fantastic Four is released upon the world. Right. A better positioning you could not have. You know, starts making comics in the 70s, apprentices under Gil Kane, Wally Wood, and others. He touches all parts of comics and is still making work today. Yeah. We had a book about this week. Yep. We didn't talk about it, but it did. He's a slacker. Jim Shooter was writing DC books at 12. Yeah. Well. Did you call him a slacker? He, he, he admitted he went through a long period in his 20s where he was pretty much drunk or stoned most of the time. Well, And he admits his work suffered for it. 
this is the time to do it. Yeah. Next week we have our Booksplode review. It's a reviewing It's Lonely at the Center of the Earth by Zoe Thurgood. So you can find that this coming week. Not next week, but this week. And then in two weeks, like I said, the media explode. We're going to do this summer mailbag. So you can write in for that. And then at some point after that, we're going to have our Justice League War World Animated Brain Trust review. I'm not sure. It hasn't come out yet, but we'll figure that out. And then there'll be another movie soon. We just haven't figured out what that's going to be. You can find our library of over 1,300 shows and counting over at ifanboy.com, wherever podcasts are sold. On many of those shows, I just start to expound on something. And I wonder, does this make any sense? Is this going to be okay? And then everyone forgets about it. So it doesn't matter. But that's all there is what I'm saying. You can go back and do that. What I said, Ellis was like Ennis, but more with a, with a formalized style. What the fuck bullshit is that? I think it might even be right, but what a pompous dick. You go into a fugue state and things come out. <laughs> I'm just, I'm imitating things that sound right, but I'm like, I think I actually learned this. You're not supposed to say that out loud, Josh. You're I'm sorry. revealing our secrets. I will also admit any possible fault beforehand so that I can't be called on any by anybody. Follow us at ifanboy2comics.com on Instagram and find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out. And sometimes for the best of the week in panels, you can follow us individually at CS Kilpatrick on Instagram and at Jay Flang on Instagram. And as of yet, right now, by the way, nowhere else. Yeah. I left Twitter because Twitter was fucking awful way before it became really fucking awful. Yeah, we, I left Twitter seven years ago. I'm not going yeah. back to a new Twitter just no. because it's new. Uh, the whole point of it was to not be doing that. Yeah. It's, it's bad over. for you. Bad for your mental health. It's over. <laughs> we can't recapture. Comics Twitter of 2007 was amazing. It I, was I left it because every day being on it made me feel bad. And I'm not going back just because it's a different owner. place with a different owner who's also equally bad. <laughs> Yes, I'm on Instagram. We just talked about it. I'm in this hypocrite. We all are. You have to make some concessions or it's just in our lonely caves alone. Subscribe to YouTube.com slash iFanboy. That's where you'll find this show, our old video shows. Josh, somebody wrote in last week explaining why they like to listen to the show on YouTube because you expressed surprise mm-hmm. that this would even be a thing, but it is. But I also did accept the fact that it totally did. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, so it is. One day, Josh, your kids will listen to you on YouTube. <laughs> I'm going to doubt that. My wife's never even listened to a show. Not one show? Uh, no, I don't think so. In all of our 18 years, not a single episode? I don't think so. Tell Lindsay my feelings are I, hurt. I did tell her after the media explode that we just did, I was like, you might like this. <laughs> she went, okay. She listened to some of Goodfellas Minute. That's, she enjoyed that's that. not this show. I recognize that. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> she just wanted to hear us talk about Alan Moore for 20 minutes? Come on. I know. Do you think that that poor fucking woman needs to listen to me unfiltered going on and on about my stupid opinions? More than she already does? That's what I'm saying. Like, could you, t- <laughs> you know what it's like to be in a room with me, and you deal with it much better than she does. I couldn't do that to her. Please consider writing a review or leaving a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. If you're not Josh's wife, please consider doing that. And. <laughs> That's it. And also, like, this isn't like a my old battle axe joke. No, no. I get it. Like, like that's fair. Like, yeah. do you know how awful it is to watch TV and movies with me? Yes. It's the worst. You yes. people listening only have got to listen to me for an hour at a time. My confirm. thoughts are all over the place. I have opinions. Who's that guy? Oh, he was in this. I see what he's doing here with the form. Shut the fuck up. I want to watch this. <laughs> oh, we're done. This is it. The show is over. We'll be back next week with a new episode. (laughs) Until then, I'm Connor. I'm Josh. Sorry, Lindsay.
Don't wink your eye Maybe yes, I'll confess 